Well, good morning, Sailorville. I'm Pat Nemers, the lead pastor here at Sailorville. And if you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can make your way over to Genesis chapter 13 as we continue our study of Genesis with this sermon series titled Faith of Our Fathers. It was about 30 years ago I was uh, pastoring a little country church, the sanctuary of which would probably hold eh, maybe 80 or 90 people. And I didn't have any, I didn't have a secretary, I didn't have any associates. Uh, there wasn't even a custodian running around, it was just me in there. And I was, uh, I was in my study, studying, and it was the middle of the afternoon, and I heard the front door of the church open and shut. And so I just assumed somebody would be coming to my door, uh, somebody from the church wanted to talk with me, but nobody came. Five, 10, 15 minutes went, but I didn't hear anybody leave. So I got up out of my desk and I walked, my, my office was just off the platform, so I came out and I looked down and there was a woman sitting in the back, uh, all by herself, somebody I'd, I've never met before. I didn't know her from Eve, and I, so I almost felt, it was almost, a, it looked like a sacred moment. She was weeping, it was clear that she was weeping, and, and I asked her if I could help her, and uh, she said, she looked up, she lifted up her face, and she said, uh, no, she said, uh, the circumstances of my life are just profoundly sad right now. My husband, who is a very accomplished seminary professor, left me for another woman, and I just had to come home. And I said, home? And she said, yes. She said, this is where it all began for me 30 years ago when I came to trust Christ as my Savior. My heart for you this morning is what my heart was for that woman that day. I wanted her to find her way home. I want you to find your way home. Because some of you, because of the circumstances of life, some of which you had nothing to do with, and in some of your cases, you had everything to do with it because of your sinfulness, your lapses in faith, you're out in the weeds somewhere. But for whatever reason, you're far from home. And it is my heart today to beckon you back home, that you find your way back home to God and to a fervent walk with him again. Genesis chapter 13, if you'd make your way there, otherwise the words will be up there. The famous story of Abraham and Lot. So Abram went up from Egypt. Remember, he's had a lapse of faith. Received the promises of God. Famines in the Lamb, chapter 12, makes his way down to Egypt instead of trusting the Lord to take care of him in the famine. So he's gone down into Egypt. It was a complete fiasco. Nearly lost his wife in the process. But he has found his way back home. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. That's the deserty southern area of Israel. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, which is extre extremely, extraordinarily unusual for a Bedouin shepherd. He journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel, that's about 2,800 feet above sea level where you get a bird's eye view of a lot of stuff, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also 
had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. We're kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Hey, listen, separate yourself from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. In verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from one another or from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward, westward, all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that it, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the, uh, the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So a statement I made from George Morrison last week is still in play here. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And some of you just need a fresh start this morning. But if you're going to get that fresh start, you got to come home. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul described the three kinds of people who have always existed in this world. There are the natural man, the spiritual man, and the carnal man. And they're all in this passage I just read. The natural man is the man outside of Christ. He's natural. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Some of you are natural men and women. You're not born again. You have not been born of the Spirit. God is not living in you, and it's very evident in your life. There's the spiritual man. That's, by the way, the natural man are the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Sodomites in this passage. Then you've got the spiritual man in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. That's Abraham here. That's the man who has the Holy Spirit. That's the man or woman who is born again. You have God living within you. Your life has been changed. You're not perfect, but you're following God. And then there's the carnal man or the fleshly man. That's Lot. That's the man or woman who actually is saved, actually does know God, but you're, it's not real evident. It's very difficult to tell the difference between you and the natural man. Your heart isn't right, and you're far, far away from home. Now, some of you who've read ahead in the story, you know the story of Abraham. You know it's going to happen down here. You know about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know about the destruction of that. You know what happens to Lot and his daughters afterwards. And you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how, 
how could this guy have been a righteous man? How could he have been a, a how could he have been a follower of God? No way, no way Lot was a follower of God. Except that Peter would tell us differently on the other end of the Bible. I'll give it to you. Here it is. It couldn't be more blatant. If God rescued righteous Lot, (laughs) greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, that would be the Sodomites just before the destruction. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Three times. The description of Lot is that he was righteous. And yet there was something clearly not right with Lot. Abraham has received those promises, if you remember, at the beginning of chapter 12, from God, land, seed, and blessing. And yet he, he struggles, and the famine comes into the land. He goes down into Egypt in his lapse of faith, And he's here. He's back in the promised land. By the way, you're not saved by making promises to God. You're saved by believing promises God makes to you. Want me to prove it? And this is the promise that God made to us, eternal life. Aren't you glad? Because God doesn't break his promises. Back to Abraham. He's fled to Egypt in this lapse of faith. He struggled, and he's going to struggle again, just like you, just like me. It's all recorded. It's all recorded. How would you like if every lapse of faith of yours was recorded? By the way, if you have 10 kids, they are. Pretty much every one of them. But if you're not a Christian, they're all recorded, and that's not funny. Every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Have you ever read that? If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, everything gets written down. It all comes against you because you have not been to the judgment which took place at the cross where Christ died for sin. Back to Abraham. He's back home. He's come home. Not to Ur of the Chaldees where he originated, but to his new home, to the promised land, to the, the text says to Bethel, the Hebrew word, whenever you see the word E-L, that's the word for God, house of God. He's, that's what Bethel means. He's back to Bethel. And what does he do in Bethel? This is a little secret to the end of the message. He does what he did the first time. Look at the end of verse 4. He called on the name of the Lord. You'll hear it again. When you get far, far away from home, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Abraham had called upon the name of the Lord in chapter 12. He's doing it again. This is actually very encouraging. And if you go to the very end of this chapter, in the 18th verse, when he makes his way to Mamre and, uh, or Mamre and uh, Hebron, he builds an altar to the Lord. In fact, this entire text is enveloped with worship from Abraham's point of view. He's the spiritual man. He is a worshiper. He stumbled. He'll stumble again. But the righteous may stumble seven times and get up again, right? 
not the wicked. He's a true worshiper. He'll stumble again, but never for long. Notice, too, that he's rich. I mean, he's loaded. This guy is very wealthy. And he, if you recall from our study last week, he brought from his original call and error, God said in chapter 12, you know, get away from your kindred and all that. He doesn't do that. Remember, he brings the luggage with him. The luggage is not just his dad, Terah, but Lot and his family. And, he, and I mean, by the next chapter, he's got 318 servants. He brought a lot of people with him. And his dad's gone by now. He's dead and gone. But his nephew's sticking around, but not for long. Listen, circumstances are about to change things, and circumstances almost always change things. All right, let me put it differently. Circumstances often change things, but they always reveal things. Did you catch that? The circumstances you go through that put pressure on you, that you struggle with, they, they might change something about you, but they might not. They will always reveal something about you. As in the case of Abraham and Lot. They, a lot is going to be revealed here. And I have to tell you, I've seen a lot of beautiful things come out of lovers of God when they're under difficult circumstances Things like acceptance, determination, and even a God-given kind of joy in the midst of your struggle, whatever it may be. And I've seen some ugly things come, come out of so-called Christians, enough to make me wonder if you're even a Christian. You have to get to the place of, you know, God knows kind of thing. And then there are those of you who are Christians and you're weak, you're off in the weeds, spiritually speaking, and you're kind of a hybrid of all the above. You don't want to trust God, but you're struggling like crazy. It's kind of hard to tell the difference between you and the, and the lost guy. Lot here in verses 5 through 7, he, he comes into play. He, he, this is the nephew. He, is, he has seriously benefited from his uncle Abram and the blessings of God upon him. And he's rich too, right? I mean, the text says he's got a lot. I mean, he, Abraham's rich, Lot's rich. If I was a health and wealth guy, I could really go off on this text. Except that Lot's wealth would lead to separation with his God-blessed uncle. A separation that would reveal a lot more about Lot as well as Abram. And there's something very powerful about these verses in verses 8 and 9 where Abraham looks at Lot and says, oh, here's the land before us. I mean, pick. Where do you want to go? You go there, I'll go there. You go there, you know. I mean, it's amazing. Abraham is the rightful owner of the land. His herdsmen are fighting with lots. There's not enough room to support them all. He, as the owner and businessman, he blows off Lot and tells him to go find his own land to graze in. I've got my land. Buzz off and find yours. That's not what he says, is it? Rather, in God-like fashion, he gives, gives up his right and his privilege, just like Jesus did, by the way. In this case, to choose. And he would choose the land that was better. I mean, I've been to this land. I mean, I've been to the area of Sodom, that area, 
of the Dead Sea. It's the deadest area. It's, it's desolate, but not then. This is before. That's why that little parenthetical thought is before God judged it. I take it it was as lush and more lush than the area in which Abraham went. And that's where he heads off to. Lot chooses what Lot wanted. And that's always the way it is, isn't it? When you're the carnal man, the fleshly man, or the fleshly woman. He chooses the incredible lush and fertile Jordan Valley. And that's, that's because that's what he saw. See, he lifted up his eyes. You see that? Someone has said, listen to this, the eye sees what the heart loves. Abraham had taken Lot out of Egypt, but he could not take Egypt out of Lot. Lot saw the cities that were unbeknownst to him at the time, prime for destruction. Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities around it. Abram, however, was looking forward to the city that has foundation, foundations whose designer and builder is who? Is God. And it tells us at the end of verse 12, look at this. It says that Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent The ESV says, as far as Sodom. If you have an NIV, it says near. The Hebrew in this text literally says up to. That's what the Hebrew says. And it was right on the edge. That's where he's at, right on the edge. As Abraham made his way toward the plains, Lot made his way up to Sodom. And Moses, the commentator who wrote this, adds, now, when the, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And we'll soon see how wicked they, they were. But why mention that here? Why would God, the Holy Spirit, lead Moses to write that? Why would he insert that there, that the men of Sodom were really wicked people? I think the reason is because, listen to this, wickedness has its own magnetic effect. By the next chapter, Lot isn't on the edge anymore. He's living in Sodom. He's there. It sucked him in, just like it'll do you. In fact, some of you have already been sucked in. You, you were riding the edge for a while. You thought you could play the edge, you know, and you couldn't do it anymore because you got sucked into whatever worldliness you got sucked into. Our Kent Hughes says these profound words. He said, Lot was the kind of man who would certainly choose heaven over hell if given the choice but not heaven over earth. Let that one sink in. Lot, like Abraham, was back in the land, but he was far from God. And Abraham, he's right where he needed to be. He's near God. And God, as you see from the text, then after Lot takes his choice, God takes Abraham and tells him to look up, lift up his eyes and look around. He enhances all the promises that he has already given to him. And he worships. And what a contrast Abraham is to Lot. And some of you don't sense that. Some of you that are, are worldly like Lot, you just hang out with worldly people, so you don't have any contrast. So find a few Abrahams, why don't you? And you'll see that contrast if you get close to people who truly love God. 
Lot said, I'll take that. Abraham was told, I'll give that. Lot selfishly lifted up his eyes to take. Abraham was told by God, lift up your eyes for what would become his and his descendants forever, right? Lot would one day end up running for his life from the land he chose. And ever since that day, the children of Abraham have been running to that land of promise. Lot would lose most of his family. Think about this, by the way, those of you who are riding the edge far from home. He would lose most of his family. Abraham would have so much family, you couldn't count them. Spiritual men, carnal men. You're trying to figure out who you are? You know, they say if you're in a poker game, and I haven't been in one for a while, you got 15 minutes to find out who the chump is. And if you ain't figured it out in 15 minutes, you're the chump. (laughs) Figure it out. Figure it out. You already know, don't you? Worldliness is an elusive thing. We and so many of you are still stuck in a legalistic system that, that worldliness is to you is style of music, form of dress, uh, entertainment, alcohol. These are all the things you associate with worldliness. And you could not be farther from the truth. It's so much deeper than that. Let's get to the heart of the matter because the matter is about the heart. Worldliness, by definition, is a life stuck in this world. That's what it is. Remember the quote from Hughes? Lot was the kind of man who would certainly choose heaven over hell if given the choice, but not heaven over earth. That's a worldly man. The Apostle Paul had a young confidant, young mentee, young guy that he had been discipling and spoke glowingly of, but by the end of his life, when his own head was on the chopping block, he talked about a man by the name of Demas. Do you remember that? But he said, oh, what an epitaph. In love with this present world, he's deserted me. And that's what you do when you ride the edge long enough. That's what you do. If that's what you're doing, is it? The Lord Jesus gave the greatest counsel I have ever, ever heard. For anybody, in any circumstance, that's led you far from home. It's counsel you need to take to heart. He said it to an Ephesian church that was so with it. They had everything. In fact, you read the front end of the Ephesian church of Revelation 2. You say, man, I, I, I want our church to be like this. And yet Jesus said, listen, you have left your first love. 
You say, well, that's, I mean, if you're doctrinally sound, just because you've left your first love, that's not going to cost you anything. That church doesn't exist anymore. Here is what the, the Lord Jesus told that church. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do what you did at first. This is the greatest counsel any of you far from home could receive. And just stare at it for a moment. Look at that. This is the counsel of Jesus to those of you that are far away from home. It may or may not be showing up in your life because you're riding the edge. Remember, repent, and renew. There it is. He says, remember from where you have fallen. That's a point of reference. That Nobody defects overnight. You defected over time, but there is still a point of reference. It might have been when you started looking at that, those dirty pictures you're not supposed to be looking at. It might have been when you started flirting with that woman or that guy you shouldn't have been flirting with. It might have been when you started compromising on the taxes and these kind of things. I don't know what it was in your life, but at some point, there was a point of reference. And, and Jesus himself is saying, remember this. There is a point where you fell off the spiritual wagon. Remember from where you have fallen, whatever it may be, repent. And you know what that means. It means to change your mind. And when you change your mind, you change. You turn. You come to God. You seek forgiveness. That's what you're supposed to do because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And then I love this last part, renew. And, and go back to the verse, he says, he says, do what you did. This is it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. He doesn't say, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Something new. No. He says, if it worked before when you were walking with God, it'll work again. When Abraham lapsed in faith, went down to Egypt, he came back to the promised land and did what he did when he was in the promised land the first time. He called upon the name of the Lord. He did what he did at first, and that's what you have to do. You don't. It's not rocket science. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This is good news. This is good news for you. Some of you have allowed yourself or the circumstances, something you couldn't do anything about. And some of you are bitter. Something's happened to your kids and you're fighting bitterness and it's, it's killing you. It's destroying you from the inside out. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do what worked the first time and renew your love relationship with God. Because this text is all about worship, isn't it? The woman that I saw in the church that day would come back from several states away and visit us every year for the next several years. Her countenance was restored. There was a brightness in her eyes. Her husband never came home. But she did. God, we thank you.
for the story of Abraham and Lot. And uh, we didn't make much about the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Sodomites. Their time is coming. But we're in one of those places, Lord. And God, no pun intended, but I wonder what lot people are in right now. I pray that we would take a good look at ourselves this morning and find hope that if we were to remember if we're off in the weeds for whatever reason, if we would remember from where we've fallen and repent, turn back to you and do what worked before that caused us to be fresh in our walk with you, then you will renew fellowship with us no longer far from home, but home where the true heart is. God, make that happen in our midst, we pray. And I pray for those who've never come home. They've never trusted Jesus. If that's you, my friend, repent of your sin. Believe on the cross of Jesus Christ and the person and work of Jesus that he died and rose for you, that you may have eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.